Welcome to Moments with Marianne. I'm so delighted we're spending this time here today. We have a very powerful show coming right up with special guest Cindy Suarez. And she's here today to talk to us about her new book, The Power Manual, How to Master Complex Power Dynamics. Now, Cindy works with leaders in nonprofit organizations, philanthropy, and social movements, including the most recent movement for Black Lives. She helps social change leaders move from struggle to flow by helping them build elegant ideas and structures. She has an MS in nonprofit management from Southern New Hampshire University and studied feminist theory at the New School for Social Research. She's also a senior editor at Nonprofit Quarterly, the leading nonprofit journal. So let's welcome to the show Cindy Suarez. Thank you, Marianne. Hey, what a pleasure it is to have you here, and what a dynamic book. I mean, if people are having problems with power plays, this is the book to get. Thank you. I I really put a lot into that, and that was definitely the goal for it to be really useful and for it to be powerful. Well, and so I have to ask you, like, what inspired you to write this book? Because it's something that we all deal with, with at work, at home, you know, in, in organizations we donate our time, you name it. Mm, yeah, well, you know, I, I really feel that this is part of my purpose, and, and so it feels really great, um, but I, I started thinking about this book as a teenager, <clears throat> and I think that, uh, you know, it was just the, the life around me, the community I grew up in, uh, my family immigrated here from Puerto Rico, I was born here, um, but my family was Puerto Rican, and I grew up in a black community in Boston, historical black community, and <clears throat> You know, Boston is a pretty white city, so not as much anymore, but like when I was growing up, it certainly was. So it, in a day, it was very common for me to go through three cultures. That was the norm for me. And I think because I also was very um, very determined and very, I don't, I can't, I don't know why I, I was like that, but I was just really in my mind a lot. I read a lot. I think that definitely helped. I was, I was an avid reader. Um, I, there weren't books in my house per se, but... I found ways to get books. It was like one of my main hobbies, like whether it was going to the library and taking out the maps every time I went. There was this little eight-year-old carrying 14 books, which was the max at that time. So I, I had like this really vivid imagination. And I think watching, just having some, just going through three different worlds in a day, I, I sort of became really fascinated and kind of lived in this invisible space of how we move through the world and the different ways that we shift as we move into different worlds. And, and so mine were kind of somewhat significant shifts in a day. So I think that's where it started. And I've also always been into um, spiritual um, knowledge as a kid also. So I read a lot about that. And I think in my mind, I was really brewing um, with this question about uh, freedom and liberation. What does it mean? And so I, I, I always knew that I, that I would write that book. And I'm in my 40s now, so it's, I, you know, I, in the meantime, I've been working, um, really applying and questioning a lot of my thinking. I think I'm really rigorous, and I think I had some thoughts about what, what I could, how I could think and approach this topic that fascinated me. You know, I studied it in grad school, and I worked in the sector, the nonprofit sector, and in social movements for about 20 years now. So it felt like the right time. And I think a lot of people would say that's over-preparation, but I mean, I, I, I think you can see it in the book. There's a lot there, and I try to 
um, share it in, a, in an accessible way as I could because I really wanted to reach. I was kind of really trying to go deep with ideas and practical applications, but I also wanted to reach uh, as many people as I could. Well, and I found your book. I think you did an extraordinary job with that because I found your book to really dive into like the dynamics of just when we look at power and how it is in in groups of people, just the dynamics of it all I found to be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it was really fascinating too because what you know the the, the sort of clicking a little deeper into the process of actually writing the book over the last five years. I, I started out with about a year, maybe even a year and a half of designing the book. So I really spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about what the cover would be, what the back would be, what were the sections, what were the chapters, what were the main sources. And that made me approach the thinking before I actually wrote it. And what happened with that is that as I read through, and and I collected really major pieces that really influenced me in my life, and then also a lot of new thinking, um, as you see, the book covers about 10 fields of, of areas of study and of practice. So it took a lot of time to do both that looking back at classical key pieces and looking to what's happening now. And so what I found when I did that was because I mapped each of the sources. So I, I, I created mind maps to figure out the, the actual, what, what, was this, what, was this, what is this person really actually saying? What's the structure of their argument? And when I did that for all the pieces, I found that there was this underlying connection between all of these different areas of study because and they even all use the same words. You know, so this idea that difference triggers power dynamics, that the main source of them is relationships and interactions, that, that structures are artifacts, that our institutions are artifacts of how we interact. Uh, and, you know, the fact that skills uh, are learnable, that there are so many ways you can actually tune into power from physical, how your body feels in the situation to, you know, thinking about power and studying it to just paying attention to actually working on it, as many people do. Uh, so I found that there was this underlying connection, which is what the book kind of outlines. And I think for me, uh, that that was the the gift of this process um, for me. And I think what, what makes the book different, that it actually talks about really complex issues in its most stylized, concrete way so that everyone can understand it. Some people, I think, think of style stylized writing as complex or even abstract. But I also find that if your logic is very tight, that most people can pull themselves to read through it. You know, because I, I read a lot of theory. I was trying not to write in a theoretical language, um, but it's it, this is a complex topic. So I was always trying to, to have that balance. And so the structure of the book, I think, is clear and I think appeals to a lot of people. Well, and I love how you, you touch on the, the theories of power. You talk about postmodern and the feminist theory, and I'd love for you to explain a little bit about that for our listeners. Yeah, so I started out with looking at, you know, uh, I mean, a part of it also, I should say, is a lot of this book came through um, just meditation, so a lot of it was heavy research and a lot of it, the process. I mean, the book spans all these fields from really concrete theory to, to the Vedic scriptures, which are, I think, one of the most ancient um, you know, scriptures we have around realization and spiritual evolution. So I also used those in my, in my writing of the book. So I did have an outline that sort of, sort of really came to me. That was the first three sections of the book, um, which are identity, choice, and, and thresholds. 
And I think when I started to read the different pieces, it was amazing that they really fell into these different ways of approaching it. So that, you know, I think that's one of the main structures of the book is just the sections. The idea that identity and how we, um, what our power identity is, is actually almost like the starting point for any interaction that we may want to um, affect. And so the first five chapters is all about that, all about how is identity um, key to how we even enter power dynamics? How does that get formed? Uh, you know, what are the theories around that? How, what are the different phases? So I, this is actually coming really handy. A lot of my friends uh, are, are consultants or people in the sector and in movements that work in, in, in these kinds of ways where they're actually trying to help people deepen consciousness so that they can advance the work, given where we are now um, in the U.S. with a lot of these issues. And, you know, one of my friends who interviewed me recently, Jabron Herrera, for a podcast that he has, and he's, uh, he's someone who does this work, very well-known facilitator of, of these kind of processes where people come together to, as, a, as, a, as a group or as a network deal with social issues around power. And, he, and one of the things that we talked about was how difficult it is to facilitate those kinds of spaces. And so one of the things we talked about is that when someone is consciously working on, those, um, on these issues, it's important to know the developmental phases that people go through. So you can help them move along. And even for people to understand the developmental process of power expansion, how it gets formed and how it develops over, over a lifetime. So there is a lot there, I think. And, you know, all these different theories feed into that. Um, I think that's the core theory is this, this thread that runs through all the chapters. But, you know, the different ways that it enters. I mean, when you ask about the different fields, one that I found really fascinating is a, a newer field um, called neuroendocrinology. And... This is an interesting story because it came from a professor I had in graduate school, Teresa Brennan, who is, um, she's no longer with us, but she wrote this great book called Transmission of Affect. And she was one of the first people to theorize using research that was coming out of this new field of neuroendocrinology. And the research was tracking how power actually shows up in bodies and how these different things called status or how people are positioned in society actually become physical. And, you know, through hormones. And so it was really fascinating to look at all these different fields and, and how they all use the same languages around difference, around, you know, um, this developmental process, the fact that a lot of these decisions are unconscious and we have to make them conscious and that that's possible and that's part of the learning process. So, you know, a lot of the different fields added to it in a way it's, it's that's the complexity in the book that I attempt to hold with a structure that is um, um, built from looking at the connections. Well, and you outline it so well because a lot of this can get, I think for a lot of people, a little, you know, they, they kind of understand that there's um, power dynamics going on. They may not quite understand really where they are, but your book helps them kind of discover that. And if they're looking to consciously make those moves, how they can move you know, in, into a place that I think would be more beneficial for the entire group. Yeah, I, I think in a way, I mean, th thank you. And, and it, there's a lot that I, that I do to make that as simple as possible. I mean, that's why it took that long to research and write. These are very complex topics. And trying to write something as comprehensive as possible means a lot of time looking at what, what are the patterns here. Um, one of the things that I, want to, that I want to share, I mean, I think the first few chapters are my favorite because they're the ones where a lot of the theory grows from those those few core um, 
proposals. And the first is that there's a difference, uh, there's two, at least two different kinds of power. There's, um, so, you know, supremacist power, the ability to dominate, and liberatory power, the ability to create what you want in the world. Those are really different, and a lot of people don't even know that. That's the basic fundamental distinction the book makes from the beginning. And just that itself, I found in the responses I've gotten from readers, many of whom are experts in this field, who spend, have spent the last few decades working in movements and to affect social change, they've told me that that just that first thought it was revolutionary, the idea that there's actually at least two types of power and you have to know which one you're pursuing and how to pursue that one. And the whole book is about that. How do, how does one pursue liberatory power and sort of move away from supremacist power? But even that basic um, um, idea it was really um, not very well thought of. And, and it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't an idea before this, before I started to put all these, diff- all these different thinking together. And that came from grappling with all these different topics and looking at why is this person saying it this way? Why is this person saying it that way? And then realizing that they had these assumptions of domination versus I mean, something more about connectedness. So, yeah, it was, it was a very rewarding writing experience. Oh, it must be, and especially since it's something that you, I mean, as a you know young adult was thinking, hey, this is something I'm going to write about. This is a topic that's passionate to me. You can see why, because it's it's something that you have really dived into. I have, yeah, and I really, I mean, it's it's changed my life. I mean, I think I knew all these things, and in a way, there were all these theories floating in my in my mind and in my psyche as I went to the world, um, really digging into the work of social change. And, but putting it all together and having a theory that I really grappled with, I mean, there were times where I, I came to a conclusion that I didn't uh, foresee, like the idea that power is, or that liberatory power is developmental, and how hard it is to get to that. The, the fact that it's about 10% of the population or less at any given time really stumped me, because I thought, well, wow, if we're all fighting for this, and if we all... Um, want to be these types of people, and that's the goal. And it's, is it really that hard? You know, if it's that hard, then what really are we asking of people? You know, so that, when I got to that, I, I had to stop writing for, for a few months. And that happened periodically when I ran across um, ideas from the thinking and putting together of these other ideas that I hadn't expected. Like, the deeper I got into the connections across these different theories, the, the deeper I came to questions that really... Um, we're turning points in the book. Yeah, I, I can see where, you know, it's kind of like these aha moments where you're like, well, wait a minute. Okay, I have to look at this research because this changes everything. Yeah. And honestly, what I did when I when I came across, was, like, I would write when I knew what I was writing. And I, would, I had done a lot of work around the mapping and the researching. And I would get into the moment where I felt like, oh, I know what I want to say about this. And I would write. And then when I got to those points where I, I just kind of came up against a sort of wall in terms of the theory and like like when I came across the one I just shared, I would just stop writing for about three months or so and I would kind of walk around the world with that question in my mind. And then what would happen? Because usually it would be a question, well, what does it mean if I'm saying this, but now I'm finding this, you know? And then life would answer that question for me. I would actually, it would actually trigger experiences in my life where I, I mean, I would kind of just go with it and just sort of trust that I would find the answer because that's kind of how I, how I orient. And then I would kind of go through something that would show me the answer. And, I, oh, and then I would write about it. So the book was very much tied to my own process expansion. And I was actually in the middle of a shift um, where I wanted to shift from 
working in the sector and in movements for about 20 plus years to actually writing. So this book um, became a very symbolic uh, uh, process um, because it wasn't just the book. It was what it kicked off in my life. Well, and I love how you, you know, you make it so that people understand that it's something that can be taught. Yeah, because a lot of times people think when they get into different power dynamics that, you know, they're either stuck or this is how it's always going to be or they'll never attain it. But you, you've broken it down so people understand that, yeah, it, it's something that can that they can work towards. Yeah, I kind of see it as like if you had a microphone, uh, sorry, microscope and you could look into an interaction and just see this whole world, its frameworks and concepts that allow you to understand something that before seemed invisible. That's kind of what it feels like, I think, to, to know these things. I think just knowing these frameworks and knowing that these are the ways that these things happen and these are the things that one can do or these are the choices one has really shifts everything. I mean, I have some friends that have read different drafts of this and I've heard over the past five years or three and a half years of actually writing it and sharing it how they've used it and, and it wasn't even intentional on many of their parts they were just reading some drafts and, and then but they had that idea in their mind and then something happened and they said you know what I was in this situation where I saw this happening and then I thought of that theory about the patterns of domination then I realized what was happening and I realized what I had to do next and so then I said something that shifted the conversation. And so I was like, wow, this is amazing. Other people are using this. This was before it was even published. Um, and I had different friends using it and quoting it in thesis. And so I was finding that it resonated for a lot of people. And that was extremely exciting for me because <laughs> I was really writing it mostly initially for myself to understand this and to know what to do. Well, if they're quoting it in their thesis, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and then, the, then the chair of the department is interested in it. So I was getting a lot of feedback, a lot of feedback that people were ready for a new, deeper, more concrete, and more sophisticated way of dealing with power. Mm-hmm. Was there anything when you were doing all this research? Because I know, I mean, you kind of explained how a lot of this was, you know, self-discovery and and uh, you learned a lot through your own process. Was there anything that really kind of just surprised you completely where you also were just like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, I know you would take a few months off here and there, but something that just was totally not expected. Well, there were so many moments of it. I mean, I think that the, the you know, one thing that, you know, actually became the fourth section, which was a, initially going to be a second book. Um, so the fourth section is on games and power. Um, and like I said, the initial book had only the first three sections. So I, when I got to the end of it, I was taking my daughter to one of her theater uh, classes. And she's a theater person, and she studies it now in college. And so, But at the time growing up, she's done this pretty much her whole life. And by the time she was a teenager, she was taking really interesting classes. And I remember one time going to a class where she was, it was the day that they performed, but they had the techniques that they had learned that week. And I was blown away because what I saw was my daughter and another actor doing a skit from Waiting for Godot, where they were enacting power dynamics. And the goal was for the person who was subordinate in the dynamic initially to find a way to shift it. And and it was not necessarily just by using words, because waiting for Godot, as many people know, is, is, is 
can appear nonsensical. It's, it's, it's all these interactions that are very seem mundane, but how you do those and how you say the, the, the words shapes the, shapes the power dynamics. So it allows a lot of flexibility around shifting and around adding meaning. So when I saw that, I, when I, <laughs> I remember being sitting in my seat and I just, I was beside myself because I felt like that was the answer. Whenever something seemed to go with what I was thinking, it would almost have this light and it would resonate and I would just get so excited. So after that, I went up to the uh, acting coach and I said, what is that that you guys just did? And he goes, so there's this whole field of theater that focuses on status. <laughs> That's exactly what I was studying. And I didn't realize it was this whole field where people had already for decades been playing pretty much games um, to embody. And that's exactly what my book was already geared towards, which is the idea of understanding the embodiment of power, um, how it happens in the body, how we interact, and how we actually create it in everything we do. And to know that there was a whole set of, of fields of theory and games for actually understanding from studying people and how power works, understanding what an actor would need to do to shift their power and, and, or to play a, a certain status. Um, so I delved into that. I mean, now just I, I delved, delved into the, the field, um, uh, the study of play and, and the field of games, and that became the fourth section. And I just think that added, it just gave such a powerful boost to the theory that, that the first three sections tend to be, um, just to have these really practical embodied ways of practicing everything that I've already said. So that was, again, I didn't expect that. Yeah. Well, and I was surprised to see how much play there was in this book. You know, because you think of the power manual, you don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of play in there, but you ha- you have a chapter on the purpose of play. And you talk yeah. about here as well, and as um, the example you just gave us too. So, I mean, it was very interesting to see all this, how this all comes together. Yeah, for me too. I mean, what I found was that and this was almost like a detective uh, process, just kind of really tracking these ideas that are really complex and looking for patterns and, and resonance. And so when I came to this idea of games, what I learned, and when I learned it, I, I said, because there was actually theory about playing games, which who knew? <laughs> so when I really started to study that, and I found some of the main thinkers in that, they were saying the same thing. And they were saying it in a really practical way. So they were, they said games are actually, I mean, the way that it came to be actually was this great story about how in nature people that were studying behavior of animals noticed that there were these really weird interactions that they couldn't explain. And, and one of them was that, um, so there was this interaction that was actually written about, I guess, extensively where there's a, a wolf or, or some kind of animal that's, that's predatory and it's about to eat its prey. And its prey manages to engage the wolf or the, the animal in game, in a game. And for days, they play even though the wolf is hungry. And they say, well, why, why would that be? Why would someone prioritize play over sustenance and food? And that kicked off this whole field, which what they found was that there is a reason why we prioritize play, because that's where we innovate, because that really enlivens us. It also allows us to get into flow and to tap into our edge and to grow. And it's, you know, it, it just connects a lot to flow, the, 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 the study of flow, which is also a, a pretty um, nice field and pretty thorough. And in flow, what they find is that it, initially the, the, the search was for, 
for what's happiness. And what they found was that happiness is actually flow. And flow isn't like a state where we're relaxing and just having a good time. It's actually a state where we're working at our edge on something meaningful that we can get feedback on so that we can track our progress. And that's what a game is. So games, you know, allow us to uh, engage an other, an opponent. And they've also found that when you engage an opponent, um, even if you're in a competition, some, some, games, some games are cooperative, but even in competitions, opponents, um, I mean, players bond. So there were a lot of reasons why games was, was a perfect vehicle for, for studying power, um, for all those that I mentioned, and also that the risks are minimal. So you get to really play with something, and it takes a topic that's pretty difficult that most people approach from a really intellectual or psychological perspective and takes it to a body play. Let's play with power. Let's see how this works. And it's a discovery process where you're having fun, even though the topic is really challenging. Um, I love it. And a lot of people that I know are starting to use the games, and people really light up at the idea of games about power because I think there is a need to, to do some of this work in a different way. Do you think that this would be something that schools should um, – consciously uh, have as part of their curriculum so that students early on learn these techniques? Definitely. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that? That would just be such a great skill to have, period. And to have it in, in the school level would just be great. I mean, and one would say we need that right now. <laughs> I actually haven't thought about that. Although I have had a lot of um, people that work with youth being interested in, in these games. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of using that as as ways to kind of work through some of the power things that they've got going on. Yeah, and also to 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 engage. It, it's a it's a very quick and direct and transformative way to understand co- complex issues. I mean, I think part of the you asked me initially what was the um, sort of how did I get how did I what was a what made me pursue this? And one of the things I, I didn't say, but which is relevant around the way I approached the games, is that I went, not only did I study this a lot personally, but I went to college for it. I went to grad school for it. And I, you know, I have a, um, I study feminist theory. And I, I realized as I got into just so much of this, that this was such a high bar that for someone to have to know so much in order to have, you know, mutual relationship and interactions is really a high bar. And I thought, well, how most people aren't going to spend so much time learning about power dynamics and history and, and all the things that, that people don't know that contribute to, to these things. And I wanted to find a really direct way, a way for people to tap into what's really going on. And they can learn. You can learn about all this history or whatever it is that we need to learn um, as, we, as we delve into this. But there needs to be more immediate ways for people to do this and to do it with integrity, to do it where there isn't a focus on shaming or on how much you know or don't know, but to just really just play and to figure it out together and to know that this is, um, it's serious, but it's also just part of being human and it doesn't have to be so loaded. I think a lot of times this topic can get so, well, people feel like it's so intense that learning how to deal with it and learning new traits would be as intense when that's not really the case. No, I mean, I, it could be. I mean, it just depends. And uh, I, I think my particular, um, you know, one of the things I was trying to balance is just this idea that I, how, how, I think my, my, my driving force is how does, how does one get to just 
get into this and do it well and, and learn how to be a master. And I think that even though there's a lot of theory, the, the underlying process is of, you know, learning as you go along, but just really reflecting on interactions, paying attention to, to these things, noticing things, reflecting, and then kind of making decisions. And I think at the beginning, oftentimes something happens to us at the beginning of this process, I should say something happens, an interaction that doesn't feel quite right, and maybe at the time we don't quite know what to do about it, but afterwards we mull it over and we say, well, did that, did that person really say this, and why did I feel so upset at that time? And you kind of do it in retrospect. You kind of reflect, and then you think, oh, you compare it to other things in your life, um, which is your memory. You know, what, you know, is this a pattern? Has this happened to me before? You know, you start to see things, and then you might say to yourself, the next time that happens, I'm going to try doing this. And that's, in my experience, that's how it starts. Like in retrospect, we, we, we learn. And, but over time, we start to see the choice as it's happening. <laughs> so you might be in an interaction. Suddenly, it's all happening really slow around you because you're actually seeing what looks invisible. You're actually understanding what's going on because you understand the structure of the power dynamics that are possible. And then you think, oh, okay, I know that this is what I can do now. And then in the moment, you shift it, which is what these actors I first saw were doing. Um, so that's the process. And it's really, uh, it's, not a, it's not hard. It, it, you know, it's just kind of as you go through life, you just pay attention. And it's, to me, it's great fun um, because it's a way to develop mastery. Um, and it's a way to, as you do that, you really have more and more control over your energy and your intention and your attention. You start to be really intentional and to just kind of move through the world with ease and even perhaps leaving, you know, lightness or light in your path. I mean, to me, that's an ideal way of being in the world. I, I always see myself um, as wanting to move easily through the world, even as there's a lot around me that may not feel easy. Yeah. Well, I, I think your book really, like you're saying, it offers a path for people because we can choose how we want our experience to be, and this is one of the books that really helps give us a skill set so that we can. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's really important now when a lot of people can feel powerless given all that's happening in the world. Um, and I really think that um, – Part of the reason why this book appeals to a lot of folks in, in, in doing social work is that it, it allows hope to know that you have as much power as you have in choosing each interaction, um, to, in choosing how to really move in the world, and to know that all this other stuff that, that seems to rule our world will eventually shift towards how we are with each other. Um, and, we're, and we're in a big moment now um, where these things are really um, – for people um, and skill building is really necessary. Consciousness expansion around it is really necessary. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and Cindy, my goodness, we could talk for hours. <laughs> this is such a in-depth topic, and I think, gosh, it, it will help people so much on their path. Where can people connect with you and be part of your community? Well, I am at CindySuarez.com, and that's probably the most direct and easy way. People can also follow me at, on Twitter, Cindy Suarez is my handle, and I am a senior editor with the nonprofit Quarterly, and I write there pretty much on a daily basis. So people can follow me on um, those different places, and, um, and there are ways to sign up for newsletters and to contact me to those, to those venues. 
All those great places. Well, I'm um, part of your community. I highly suggest everyone do the same. And of course, pick up their own copy of the Power Manual. You know, Cindy, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us here today. Thank you so much, Marianne. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. It has been such a pleasure to spend this time with you and, of course, to talk about your new book, The Power Manual, How to Master Complex Power Dynamics. Again, you can connect with Cindy on her website, cindysuarez.com. Make sure to sign up for her newsletter, be part of her community, and let her know any of the thoughts you have around her new book. Well, we're at the end of our time today. I would like to thank everyone for tuning in. You've been listening to Moments with Marianne. And remember, make every moment count. In a single moment, your life can change. Moments with Marianne is a transformative hour that covers an endless array of topics with the best of the best. Her guests are leaders in their fields, ranging from inspirational authors, top industry leaders, and business and spiritual entrepreneurs. Each guest is gifted and a true visionary, a recognized leader in her own work. And while teaching others to develop, refocus, and grow, Marianne will bring the best guest and sometimes a special surprise. Don't miss this. You never know just which moment will change your life forever. Moments with Marianne airs every Thursday, Friday, and Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Make sure to tune in and visit momentswithmarianne.com for more information.